you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animate chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the letter F in your dictionary. And add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. I'm a nerd overdrive. I will always survive. was florida <laughs> florida actually florida was kind of cool one one thing about um you know the the hotel was basically in the middle of this the island um off clearwater which was it's more like a peninsula but it's a really skinny one so like mm-hmm. this, there's this hotel and there's like 200 yards of sand between the hotel and the west beach and then maybe 75 yards between the east side of the hotel and the other side of the island so it's not a we're it's a skinny little thing but um what was interesting and i've got to find out if this is true the beach was almost entirely made of shells i mean just little tiny quarter size shells quarter and dime size shells um and somebody was i I didn't think anything of it other than i've never been on a beach made of shells um Mm -hmm. but somebody was saying it might have been because of the uh, storms and the hurricanes um, I did come back with about three pounds of really huge, like softball size shells for Debbie because she likes shell, shells. Oh, that's why Debbie didn't go this year. No, no. Was it I, I, never having seen a beach of shells? Is that uh, is that painful to walk on? I was in my tennis shoes, but it was really crunchy. It was like it was yeah, like okay, walking so on breakfast cereal. Yeah, yeah. No, no, and, and, and there were there were. It was like swashes of shells and then sand down closer to the waves. But the oh, okay. Wa- and okay. the waves were th- where the big shells were being pushed around. And I tell yeah. you, I picked up all these hermit shell crab uh, shells. They're just, beautiful. Shells, yeah. They're just beautiful, like crowning on one side and kind of scalloped and coming down on the other side. And I got them back into the hotel room. And I wasn't paying attention. Um, How many crabs did you actually have? No, I, 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 none living. But one of the shells had a dead hermit crab in it. And it uh-huh. smelled like a combination of a tar machine and an outhouse. And I was retching. And I, I desperately, I took it out onto the balcony. and I put it on the balcony and shut the window and didn't open it again. It was oh. like, oh, it was horrible. It was horrid. Oh, I, I can only and imagine. I, then I took the rest of them and I rinsed them out very carefully in hot water in the sink before um, I put them in my mouth. <laughs> well, Rick learned a lesson I about did, beach I did. <laughs> It's a biology lesson. That is the dead things stink. Well, I think all, always, always check for crabs. Always check for crabs. This is Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of FanboyPlanet.com. This is the Fanboy Planet podcast. And across from me by the magic of Skype, or I guess I'm across from him by the magic of Skype. We're sideways by Skype. This is Rick Brett Snyder. And uh, it is uh, a Tuesday night, uh, just because that's the way the schedule fell down this week. And it's been a couple of weeks off, so perfect time to come back in. we got some comics news, some movie news, some TV news, and... Uh, 
yet another interview, which I think is very timely this week uh, from Comic-Con, but it's still very timely, not only because New York Comic-Con is coming up, but because it really should have been a festival all year long celebrating this particular television show. Uh, but before we get into it, I do want to say, of course, that, uh, you know, I hope you found us on your on your favorite podcatcher. I finally remembered the word for that. That's the that's the generic <laughs> term. It's like podcatcher. Uh, yes. On your favorite podcatcher, rate us, review us. And if we're not on your favorite podcatcher, mm. tell them. Maybe you want the Fanboy Planet podcast there. Uh, and of course, you can always find us on uh, fanboyplanet.com. Each and every uh, podcast has its own individual page. And uh, I do want to say that if there is anything we talk about on this podcast, I, I hear rumors of book reviews or book recommendations, at least, coming up. Uh, and you cannot find these things at your local book and uh, book and mortar. Hmm. At your local <laughs> brick and mortar store, they're I mean, making book them out and mortar of books. Sense too. They, well, someday we're not burning them for warmth. Uh, at your local brick and mortar store, uh, you know, and your, your local comic shop, then please, uh, by all means, avail yourself of the handy dandy Amazon links that we provide on the site, as well as the Amazon search box. Uh, we get a small kickback from that. We also, uh, you know. For, for other geeky items, we've got uh, thinkgeek.com as an affiliate, and uh, anything you purchase by going through the ad there on, on ThinkGeek, uh, it also gives us a, a tiny affiliation uh, remuneration back, uh, just to help defray the cost of the podcast and, and the website, and uh, or if you prefer to call us a blog, that's I'm fine, I'm, it's taken me 15 years, but I'm I'm accepting that term. Uh, and, uh, you know, there you go. And if you want to donate directly, you can uh, go to PayPal and uh, donate money to editor at fanboyplanet.com, as well as any comments, questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, any feedback at all, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. You can follow the conversation through fa- our Facebook page. It's Fanboy Planet. Or you can tweet at us at fanboyplanet. Uh, there's Instagram, too, but I'm still not sure how to use that as really an interactive communication tool. Um, so You're not supposed to. You're... I, I don't think so. It doesn't work for me that way. No. You know, but I see people doing it, and I'm like, yeah. what? Nah. Uh, but, yeah, I actually, my daughter met her roommate, uh, her college roommate, through Instagram. They were communicating back and forth in pictures. So um, it's just interesting. Uh, so there we go. Uh, you know, at least I, I try to post fun pictures on Instagram. Uh, so as well as you know, when the new podcast is up. So I think that's enough of that. Let's get into our top story tonight. Uh, that is an interview. Uh, this, this weekend upcoming is the New York comic con where they're going to Fox 20th century. Fox is doing an amazing 20th anniversary celebration of Buffy, the vampire slayer, a TV show that every now and then, like there's this zombie rumor that they're going to reboot. And, and it just seems so perfect. And, and right in its own way, and clearly, you know, fans agree. You could almost do a Buffy the Next Generation, but then that's what Stark Horse is doing with, uh, yeah. with, you know, with the ongoing seasons in comics form. Um, Although they jump but, back in time on those two. Yeah, and they're celebrating, uh, Fox is celebrating by actually having a gift uh, pop-up that you can go in, and, and they will, like, they have trade paperbacks from seasons 8, 9, 10, I think it's up to 11, you know, um, there are books, uh, t-shirts, uh, clothing items, cause there's going to be a, like a new clothing line that I think is uh, going out through hot topic. And, uh, so they're going to actually give away a ton of actually really cool stuff. Not just your average swag thing. Like they're really upping the game. Uh, 
And also to celebrate the 20th anniversary, this week uh, is an oral history called Slayers and Vampires. It's uh, the complete unauthorized oral history of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but it's co-written by uh, a, a guy who has been a supporter of Fanboy Planet uh, from way back when, which is Mark A. Altman, who was the uh, co-writer and producer of Free Enterprise and the producer of The Specials. Uh, Free Enterprise, a movie I love, love, love so much uh, with William Shatner and uh, Eric McCormick. Uh, and uh, he, and he has also been the producer, one of the producers on uh, Castle, which the ABC detective series that was uh, that ended a, a year or so ago. Uh, and so to celebrate all that, that's a long winded uh, way of saying at Comic-Con this summer, I got the opportunity to sit down with Claire Kramer, who played Glory in season five. She was the big bad in season five. Um, and she has turned documentary filmmaker and uh, let her talk about it. It's a really cool journey as both an actor and, and a filmmaker and just a really nice conversation. So without further ado, it's Claire Kramer. I'm here at Comic-Con, actually in the Hard Rock Hotel, with Claire Kramer, who was Glory on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's true. And, uh, <laughs> which uh, you are here as a documentarian as well. I mean, you're here for the Buffy the Vampire, the 20th, mm-hmm. 20th anniversary reunion panel that is Saturday night, right? Um, but you've made this documentary called Joyrider. Yes, I have. And Joyrider is the story of Andre Kylik. He is a double amputee wheelchair athlete who lost his legs in 2003 and uh, was told he would never sit up again, was told he would never walk again. He walks with prosthetics and and now he's this crazy athlete. He spent three years trying to qualify for this race called Race Across America. This year he qualified, so we packed up our crew and followed him and his crew from Oceanside, California to Annapolis, Maryland. He hand-cycled there in 12 days. He slept 90 minutes a night. He, I mean, he's such a badass. He broke, you know, course records, world records, hand-cycling records, like literally every type of record there is. He smashed it, and it's such an inspirational story, um, and I'm really excited to bring it to the screen. Well, I'm, I'm curious. First, how did you discover this story? Well, incidentally, a little piece of trivia for you. His sister, Bianca Kylik and I were in Bring It On together. Ah. And she's an actress. And so we, of course, have stayed in touch over the years. I knew Andre before the accident. Um, and she one day came to my office, and we were just talking. She was in between auditions. And she's like, yeah, my brother. Blah, blah. And I'm like... What are you talking? We have to make this movie. Like we have to make this movie. And so I called Greg Grumberg, you know, of course from Star Wars and Star mm-hmm. Trek, and he came on as producer. Jonathan Woodward, another Buffy alum, came on as producer, and we just made it happen. So this is your first time as director. Uh, feature director. Feature I've directed director. tons and tons of stuff um, for Geek Nation, for other online sites. I've directed theater when I was mm-hmm. in New York, not so much now in L.A. But this is my first time um, to direct a feature documentary. So where can, before we get to talking about Buffy, where can people be able to see well, I'm going to do a theatrical release, but I just literally wrapped two weeks oh, ago. Okay. Okay. We had five GoPros and three uh, cameras running for basically 12 days nonstop. So it's going to take us at least six to eight weeks to sync up the sound before we can even start mm-hmm. watching the footage to see how we want to so you know, start really assembling the So we're really in the early stages. It I is, didn't it realize is that. infancy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still tired from the trip. <laughs> I, would, I would bet. Yeah. That, uh, how is he sleeping only 90 minutes a night? I you know don't. what? These guys are total badass as these endurance athletes the guy who won an amazing athlete um 
who is from, I believe, Switzerland, he did it. He ra- did the race in eight days, under eight days, and he only slept six hours during that eight days. So you talk about, I mean, it is a new level of <laughs> commitment, and it is such, it's a mental game, obviously, as much as it is a physical game. Just like Comic-Con. Uh, no, like it, <laughs> if anybody listening is whining about how exhausted you are at yeah, Comic-Con, exactly. this is, uh, no. You have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for giving me the perspective this morning. Yes. Uh, so let's talk about coming back after 20 years. I mean, mm-hmm. has it actually been 20 since Glory's season? It hasn't been 20 since Glory. She debuted in 2000. Yeah, so. But or 2000. One, I can't remember. Uh, fifth season. Fifth that's, season. That's what I remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, why that one sticks? I, yeah. Well, plus you were a very effective villain. Well, you uh, know, I mean, some say bad, some say, say the best female villain on television of all time. Uh, are they I in this room? I mean, okay. Oh, do they? Okay, mm-hmm. we'll all say it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah first, uh, what you, let's talk about is maybe some favorite memories of of that time, and then, or, or more, I guess, more directly. What's it like coming back and having everybody celebrating? You know what? The fandom has always been there for that show, and we as actors and artists are very appreciative. You know, it's the reason Fox is throwing the party on Saturday night that I'm hosting is they it's their way of giving back to the fans, you know, and saying thank you. Thank you for supporting this property. Thank you for passing it down to the next generation, mm-hmm. passing it to friends. And uh, as an actor you hope to be a part of one of those projects in the history of your career you know it it Mm -hmm. literally is like winning the lottery um my experience of going on to the show is really interesting because i had uh, i basically had done one tv pilot which Mm -hmm. was supposed to be the spinoff of er and then i went and did bring it on so really gloria was my first time on television and sometimes i look back at the character and the performance and i i think wow i was so fearless as an actor i just threw it all against the wall and you know i think i was young and i i didn't have those fears of you know not performing well or getting fired mm-hmm. that, 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 you know, every artist has as they get older and, and mm-hmm. spend more time in Hollywood. So I, I, it was like a culmination of things that kind of created the perfect situation for me to bring her to life. And what did you think when you got it? I mean, when you approached like what, what, what was going on in your preparation and I mean, you said you went all out, but you go, um, here you're in this ancient evil. No, they didn't tell me anything. The character description was female. So I thought, well, I've got that covered. You can do that. Um, I'm a female. That's good. And there were two pages of dialogue at zero description. No, nothing, no parentheticals, nothing. So I thought, well, it's a genre show. I know that. Um, And I'm going to do something different. I bet every other girl is going to go in and do it this way. And so I'm going to do it this way. And I based my audition off the Jack Nicholson character in The Shining. Mm -hmm. And so I went in and I did the audition. And I saw this man, Joss, looking at me like, hmm. And I said, okay, thanks. And they were quiet, and I left. And by the time I got to my car in the parking lot, they had called and said, we want to see her tomorrow. So the next day, I went back, and my agent was like, do everything the same. Do it exactly <laughs> the same. Something went right in this situation. So I went back in, and there was my, I was the only one there. And then there was Charlie Weber, who played Ben. He was mm-hmm. there. And I went back in the audition room, and I tried to do it exactly the same. And then they said, okay, go wait out there. Mm-hmm. Wait in the lobby. Charlie went in, did his audition. And then they just had us stand next to each other. And then Joss was like, 
okay, you guys got the parts. <laughs> and that has never, ever happened again. It was the easiest audition experience. Did they give you adjustments as the season went on? Or no. was it just exactly the same? You're female? Go. Yeah, uh, I mean, they. I didn't find out Glory was a god until literally I got that script where it was written. And... People always say, well, would you have wanted to know that from the beginning? I mean, I obviously knew she was a larger-than-life character, whether she was, you know, a god or some sort of demon or, you know, I didn't know. But I think that I'm glad in retrospect that I didn't know that because I may have had preconceived notions about what a god should do or what Mm -hmm. a god should be. And she was so free Mm -hmm. that that may have affected the performance. I don't know. Yeah, well, that's... that's Who knows? <laughs> we'll never know. <laughs> well, that's not, I think you answered that. So um, now, I always ask this for people that have been involved with something so culturally big. Well, I, I, first of all, had you watched the show beforehand? I had seen, of course, I had just finished a movie with Eliza Dishko, so I had seen Eliza's crossover episode and some of her stuff as Faith. Um, but no, I hadn't watched the show since inception. So I was, I was new to the show as well when I came on. It might've been an advantage. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but now you are, I, I have no more delicate way to say this. It's almost like pop culture immortality. Yes. And how does that feel? It feels amazing. I mean, (laughs) like I said, as an actor, you, you know, our ultimate goal is to make an impact in one way or another, a positive impact. And for fans to respond so deeply to that material, you know, and really not on a level of like, oh, it was so cool, the visual effects. I mean, let's be honest, the effects on Buffy, if you watch it now, we were doing everything the practical way, you know. Which I love, but I haven't yeah. watched it in a long time either. Yeah. I, I it's want a big, to. It's yeah. a big difference. I mean, by practical, for those that don't know that expression, it means like if there was a fire, we had a fire on mm-hmm. stage. <laughs> it wasn't put in later. We weren't shooting on a green screen, you know, very little green screen was used back then and so the show has a certain sensibility that you kind of miss nowadays um Mm -hmm. with all the visual effects stuff that you know people can implement so for people to still be passionate about a material that has aged definitely a little bit uh that's a that's a gift and why do you think it resonated so much it was the first time there was a young female badass character who was also vulnerable you know, and the metaphor was, you know, for, for Buffy slaying the vampires, the metaphor was a girl tackling her problems. You know, each each vampire stood for or could be uh, compared to what someone goes through in high school, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it was just the right time for a show like that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time yeah, to talk absolutely. this morning. And it's Joy Riders. Coming soon-ish to a theater near you, as it they will, used to say. It will be in 2018, but if you'd like to stay uh, updated, joywriterdoc.com. And also follow me on Instagram, Claire Kramer Official, and Twitter, Claire Kramer. All right. Yep. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you to Claire Kramer. And uh, I want to get into some comics news. And the great thing is I, I got to, I just have to say this, uh, I got an email from Alterna Comics uh, that actually says... The header is exactly what we were talking about beforehand, and I still don't know what it replies to, but it says, what on earth is that smell? <laughs> and I think we know it's a hermit crab still no, on, good. on Rick's balcony. <laughs> uh, so it was I, pungent, I just, yes. I, I just find that funny that, that, that I have that, that. That email just came in from Alterna Comics, which is an, an online comics, uh, digital comics company that is putting uh, comics in print 
uh, in newsprint. Like it's going back to keep the price point down at like two dollars. Uh, it's kind of uh, kind of an interesting experiment. Um, they've done some books that I think are interesting, um, and we shall we see. I think the big story in comics this week, uh, or in the last two weeks, really has been the long-awaited, or is it, Marvel Legacy number one, uh, as I say, uh, rewriting the Marvel Universe, 50 tie-ins at a time, uh, came out last week, and uh, you read the whole thing. Uh, Yes. I'm not disappointed in it. When I say that I've not read the whole thing, it's just that literally I bought it, I got home, I, I read a few pages, and then I got distracted, I had to take care of something else, and I just haven't really gotten back to it but uh well, you read the most important pages i'm sure i i read the avengers 1 million bc yes or at least the beginning of it to you know set up that um and that uh robbie reyes uh ghostwriter is facing down star brand yes. uh so that's it's, about where i got to yeah. this is this is a book that is really kind of super interesting with respect to the whole history of the Marvel universe. Um, let's just take what you just commented on Starbrand, a character who is a survivor of the Marvel new universe. The, uh, I mm-hmm. mean, one of a yes. few, they, they've incorporated a number of them, but Starbrand actually made the transition in storyline from the old new universe to the current universe. Right. Uh, whereas the other ones have just kind of been reborn. Um, haven't had the same kind of transitional stories. Right. Uh, and we have Starbrand in this one as a character who's kind of a cross between Starbrand and the Hulk. Um, uh, oh, yeah, because he's in the end with all of the... Uh, and he's right. green or greenish uh, and Hulkish. But um, there's so much of the Marvel Universe in here that uh, a tour of like the Celestials... Um, and the, mm-hmm. both, both the supernatural side and the, um, the standard hero side, the mythological side with, uh, Loki and Thor and the ice giants. Um, you know, you got cap, uh, out on a, you know, a personality quest or, a, 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 uh, <laughs> I, I knew that was a, a bad, bad, you know what I mean? Um, I do. And and then we have the return of four individuals we haven't seen for a while, but they're not exactly the four individuals you were expecting. Um, you well, know, because two of them are going to be in Marvel two and two one and again, one. You know. And and then there's another two that aren't the other two that you're expecting. But I'm not, I'm not going to spoil that for you. Um, and thank you. So, uh, no, you know, I, I mean, and there's a, just this, there's just a, this. I I haven't been reading um, Black Panther lately. But there's a one pager where they're talking about star systems out there, and they the bottom of it is the intergalactic empire of Wakanda. Yes, that was a revelation. I don't think that's actually been going on in Black Panther. Yeah, I, I'm. Although just... I, you know, I, I, as an empire, I think that the there's been an implication since the end of Secret Wars that they had already they had a space program. Yeah, that they had traveled. Uh, in, across the star systems. Um, and I, I don't mind that. I think as an introduction, like I say, if you're interested in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and you want to know what's going on in Phase 4, uh, I think I think that Marvel Legacy is close to, they're doubling down on, look how wacky, and, and I mean this in a positive way, right? Yeah. how wacky and imaginative the Marvel Universe 
can be. Um, it's, I don't think it's a bad thing that essentially this proves that Secret Wars essentially was Marvel's Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah. You know, bringing it, yeah. it into one. This was a reboot, and now Starbrand has been there from the beginning. And Odin, before before there were Nordic people to believe in Odin, Odin's there, and he's already got one eye. You know, all yeah. the myth has already happened, and um, which is okay, and I don't think, you know, counter to, to things. I like his art, ongoing arguments with with Mjolnir. Um, and uh, it's interesting to see, and maybe you can tell me it's gotten deep enough, is that it's interesting to see Ghost Rider a concept of hell before there are people to have a concept of hell. And, yeah, and, and I don't know if he's so much a concept of hell as he is demonic possession. Yeah, well, I mean, he's still the spirit of vengeance, and right. so that, that that may open up that there's more because you know there is a a spirits of I think it is the book will be spirits of vengeance. There will be a spirits of vengeance book coming out of Legacy, right? Uh, not a Midnight Suns. Um, and the thing is, you know, that, that this if you go if you go that it's the spirit of vengeance rather than he was the demon that he that possessed Johnny Blaze, um, it almost gets more in tune. Uh, more along the lines of what the Spectre became when John Ostrander and Tom Ma- Ma- Mandrake did their their run. That it's uh, you know the Spectre was suddenly redefined as the literal wrath of God, and I think that opens up something very interesting because if Ghost Rider kind of predates uh, Mephisto or Satanish or Satan or whoever, I can't remember which incarnation of the devil. Um, <laughs> run you know is uh rules over or at least originally ruled over uh ghost rider but you know it it sets up something different and new without necessarily violating what we thought we knew yeah you know i can't remember I, which i'm pretty sure they they were calling him satan at that time because they were they were doing the whole son of satan thing and uh, right you know he had that a different name called- yeah, I, he eventually he's been exposed to different characters, different times in his uh, different. No, I mean Damon Hellstrom has a new superhero name, and I can't remember what it is, uh, but I'll catch, catch oh, up to that. Okay. But yeah, so yeah, I, I I think it's an interesting startup. I'll probably be be following Legacy. I'm just not looking forward to like you know I really haven't read the Generation stuff. I might buy that as a trade just so I have. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that they'll be in it. I the ones that I've read I was okay with, but I didn't think I was going to miss anything by not picking up on them. Um this is 50 pages for 6 bucks, so it's it's uh it's I didn't a, feel a pretty off. good deal. No. no, it's a pretty good deal when you consider you pay $4 $4 for 20 page books all the time. Um, yeah. The one thing that that I haven't seen get any kind of press is in the back pages of this where they announce Welcome Back Foom. Friends of Old Marvel, number one. I have is seen out. a little, but I think it's just because I paid attention to. Uh, I think Bill Roseman, uh, who I knew from years ago at Comic Con, um, used to be a, a. I guess he really is a marketing guru again for Marvel. Uh, he's back in there. I, I think that I'd read in Comic Shop News that Foom was coming back. Yeah. Uh, they haven't said it. It, it doesn't it, say whether it's something you have to pay for or they're going to give it away. I well, can you really afford to pay for Foom if you've got all the Marvel uh, mystery boxes that are coming? And the, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I I don't buy mystery boxes. I can't afford Foom. I have pop vinyls um, or, or whatever Q 
cute thing of the month there is. It also looks like they're going to try and spin up the old paper uh, connection with uh, the readers. So it's Alex Says, which is Alex Alonzo's uh, editor-in-chief Hi. page. Are you there? What's up? Yeah. You, break, you broke up there for a second. Sorry, it's Axel. Axel Alonso. Axel. I'm sorry. I'm in the dark right now. Um, yeah, but do you have light? I was trying to. I was trying to make sure I got Alonzo right. Um, Axel says, um, and then they have covers for the next uh, twelve books that are coming out, and there's a final page with like fifty books listed as the Legacy checkbook checklist. Are you serious? Like I just guessed by saying rewriting the Marvel Universe fifty times at a time. I am guessing. And there's fifty. Let me. I can do a quick count. There's five. No, don't. No, 10, don't. Don't. Fifteen. There's at least 50 on this page. Okay. And they're going uh, back to the old numbering for like Black Panther is 166. Mm-hmm. All of it's going back to Legacy. Uh, you can look on Pepper Planet. I put some of those up there, you know, um, and they had talked about that Legacy numbering. And then people are criticizing that the numbering doesn't quite add up. But, you know, that's, that's it. how many different, you know, incarnations or as we say, volumes of it. Like when it was canceled and brought back, it would be like, yeah. you know. Well, I, I'm assuming yeah. they've done all their math on that. Um, Mighty Thor, Thor 700 is going to be one of the one of the legacy books. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, also, uh, saw today that Marvel uh, was announced that Marvel is joining Madefire. We had talked a few weeks ago mm-hmm. that Marvel uh, that DC was was going to Madefire, and now Marvel has, and so that's kind of interesting. I haven't had a chance to check it out to look and see if again is it are they getting real motion comics. Or is it just a digital distribution? Almost like to say, are they competing with Comixology? I don't know. Some people don't necessarily want to get stuff through Comixology because of, uh, you know, it's more money to Amazon. Uh, Madefire is still kind of an independent distributorship. Um, And yet I still think the power of Madefire is if you're doing a really cool motion comic. So I don't know. Yeah, the thing is either, either system, Madefire or the Comixology reader, is capable of doing really cool things with comic reading. Made the the comic comicsology does a fabulous job of following the story on a page. You know what yeah. word balloon follows what word balloon. Um, but at the same time, that's all depends on who's putting that comic together and if they properly map it. So that right. and made fire. I've seen some made fire books that have just been static images in their reader. So. It's not a matter of the company or the or the technology. It's the artist. It's and I, this is something we're going to see. I predict we're going to see this on, uh, sooner than later in e e comics. And that is, there's going to be like the comic director, the person who figures out where the panels are, where the panels because, are, and where you, where you go. Because have you tried? Have you tried to read? Uh, if you've gone to Marvel Comics Unlimited, I'm just going to call this out. You know, you yeah. go to Marvel Comics Unlimited. And anything that they've gone into their back, you know, way back when into their archives, a lot of Kirby stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, I'm noticing with with you know going back into Luke Cage and reading that is they're not well scanned. Right. There's often stuff cut cut off because it was just like I would suggest, especially with the Kirby art, that really hurts. Yeah. You know, um, and because I, I was going through like. You know, a Thor run, and just like, oh, I never knew this, and the you know the first appearance of Ego, and and I was kind of going through there and just like, going, well, wait, that word balloon got cut in half, and that caption box is, you know, so yeah. it needs to be reframed. 
And I know, you know, what it was is that, you know, they're desperately getting, I think they're up to 30,000 titles in there, you know, and they're doing a fantastic job of getting their archives up. But they're not necessarily, there's there's not someone really paying attention to the quality. I think that's an interesting position you, you named, and I think that you are you are absolutely right, that digital comics is going to need that, in, in particular for archiving things. I think moving forward, there are books that people are producing now that it's like, well, you always suspected they were cinematic. Yeah. And it really adds to it. Uh, you know, that, that you can see, I think artists have been working more cinematically in the last decade or so anyway, but there can't be an artist today that is not keeping an eye on, this is going to get trans transposed to digital. You know? So, um, Oh yeah. But I think, I think absolutely there should be directors, for archiving stuff, because that archiving stuff shouldn't be lost, especially with Marvel. With, with Marvel, once you've gotten past that archiving, it's kind of free money, isn't it? Um, and the mouse is kind of like that. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> weird nostalgia. Speaking of almost like archiving, I, the most unexpected license for me today: Dynamite announced they're doing a Charlie's Angels comic. It's not an update. They are doing a comic based on the actual 70s TV series. Which set of angels? Uh, they, they have rights to all within the five seasons. Okay. But that's all they've said. They, they haven't been specific. We don't know who the creators are. Uh, we just know that it is not based on the, the cinematic reboot. Um, ah, I think, okay. And I think that there was a, a Fox had tried to, uh, to revive it uh, in the late 90s. I think it only got a pilot made. So... Uh, and there's rumors of another one uh, of, of movies trying to do it again, but this is no. This is going back to that TV series. So I don't know if it's going to be set in the '70s, but they've been doing, you know, the Bionic Woman, um, you know, and the Six Million Dollar Man. So they've been doing books set in the '70s. It just, I guess, it fits. It's just I don't know why. I I was just so taken aback by it, but. Uh, I don't know that I'll, I'll be buying it, but I'll bet there are a lot of Charlie's Angels fans that uh, would be interested. Um, so we'll It'll see. Be interesting gotta... to see who the artist is for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, they're pretty good. Dynamite usually puts a, a good book together. Yeah, so you, it, it, I, you know, not to be, you know, it's kind of. Let's face it. It was the. Uh, it was the seventies and eighties, and it was kind of a sexist. It was the jiggle. It was the jiggle. Yeah, it's it's you need a good girl comic guy. You know, you need. Yeah, yeah. Imagine Dave Stevens doing Charlie's Angels. Well, let's not imagine what we can't. What we absolutely cannot have. I know. Um, we just have to look back over our rocketeer pages and sigh. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and we were alluding to upfront. I think that uh, you know DC uh, on the DC side. They're still going through this crazy uh, dark metal, uh, dark universe, dark nights, right? I know I'm losing track of what they're calling it because I haven't been able to follow up. Um, they're continuing being metal, and you said you've got the Batman Red Death, and I metal. at least I know I haven't read Dead, Red Death. I know I haven't read Murder Machine. That's the one that came out this week. Oh, there's um, another one too. There's another one I is. think I have not read, but I I was concentrating. Actually, I've been concentrating on a very odd title, uh, getting all caught up on it. All uh, right, but well, uh, and yeah. I, I'm going to say this here is an unexpected event. Uh, that Comics Beat just did uh, sales pitch thing. Like, what's going on with with uh, with this metal? Is these books are selling way above 
what every other book at DC is selling. Like hmm. there's this gap of like almost every book, the highest selling books at DC are 50,000, but dark days, the forge dark days, uh, the, what was the other one? Um, I can't remember, but yeah, you know, really all, these, all these times, those were at over a hundred thousand wow. and Batman, anything that's tied, you know, the Batman book leading into that is over a hundred thousand. So, there's this huge gap and Marvel is kind of in the same, is in a, a similar boat that I think that it's legacy is doing well, uh, had a good, give it a good burst, but they're, you know, their top selling books are like 50, 60,000. So you're getting another one of those, Oh, comics are doomed, uh, moments. And I think it's not that it's just, there's so many doggone comics, but this in particular, this metal event has pointed out, I think part of the problem with distribution. So I just presumed uh, that, oh, I thought I'd had the conversation and put it on my pool list. I had not. I completely admit that. But that my comic shop, Elusive Comics and Games, for the first one, The Red Death, had just enough for those who asked ahead of time. So by the time I got in, I think it was Thursday, a day late, there were no copies. Oh. But we're going to get more. I went to two other shops. Diamond shorted one. And the other uh, had also sold out. And again, it was to all to people who had pre-ordered it. There, there was no way for someone who heard or was recommended a good book. There's, I mean, basically, there's no way for a retailer to, if somebody walks in on a Wednesday or a Thursday and says, what's hot? I, you know, I'm looking for a comic. And here's the most popular comic. And nobody has, has a copy. Because these retailers... Retailers are stretched so thin, they really have to order only to what they can perceive the demand. And with legacy coming and so forth, you know, it's just a, I don't know the point of my rant. I'm just, you know, and it's all getting reprinted and that's fine and dandy and that's good. And the way I read, it's probably not going to hurt me in any way, shape or form to have to have waited for the reprint because I've stayed away from all news of what's going on with it. But it's just, I don't think that's good for the industry because People can't come in and, and, and be ex, be excited. Someone walking into a comic book store that doesn't get the rhythm of a comic shop, you know, they can't discover a book like that. And it's and I think it's got to be worse for indies because, uh, again, if a comic shop is only ordering what it believes it can sell, how can someone discover a book? Except for a library or except for digital. And then why would they get into the habit of going to a shop? You know, so... That's my strange little rant. I should get off my soapbox because I'm getting uh, vertigo from... You're getting a little noise blade there. Uh, a little bit. Uh, yeah, just just a little bit. I was like, you know, at least six inches off the ground. Uh, and aside from Legacy, I haven't gotten to a shop in uh, in at least a week. So uh, I'm, I'm, you know, a couple weeks... I Actually, I can speak to one one book uh, from the past, but I'm going to go ahead and say let's, let's, what's in Rick's bag mostly. I'll recommend a book and see if you can actually go back into a comic shop and get it right now. But uh, go ahead. Okay. Well, um, so the first book I have, I'm not sure if this came. We haven't done a podcast for two weeks. No, I know. It's been two weeks. Yeah. And so I, I may have dug back into the week before last. That's um, all right. But I think it's worthwhile because um, these it's a, it's a combo book. And it's two characters that I used to read both of their magazines religiously. Um, I suspect this was two weeks ago because I think that was going to be the one book I said I'd read. But go ahead. And, <laughs> so and, I can just talk about it. And this and this combined the two uh, across two companies. And I went, 
okay, I'll buy, I'll, I'll buy, I'll bite that. And it's Wonder Woman Conan. Conan, yes, by Gail Simone. Yeah. Um, Wasn't that it was, strangely charming? It was incredibly satisfying. I am yes. really looking forward to the next episode. Conan is... Bashful. I, I'd, I, I'd forgotten that... Uh, no, but he's not... He's not a sexist barbarian. I'd forggotten he had he had female partners through all his career. Oh yeah, partners. I never thought every, of him as every step of the way. No, I mean, but a lot of people, I'm sure, do because just a swaggering barbarian. You know, I think the novels he's more sexist because it's Robert E. Howard. Yeah. I think that I think that every comic book version of, of Conan has the right. Toned Thomas that down. Conan was not sexist. Yeah. yeah. So um, the idea that that it's uh, it's Wonder Woman. Uh, and or Yana, her, yeah, and her costume is kind of the same, and you know it's a younger Conan. He's not he's not as worldly as he might be. Uh, it's a good book. It's it's. I'm looking forward to. It's going to be a six issue run, I think. Yeah, I think so. I yeah. think so. And I I would say I I read a, a stack of books from that two weeks ago, and that was the the, the top. I just wanted. I, I had to know. Cool. And and I thought, oh my gosh, that was just that's. And again, it, it's that kind of satisfying for where I am. Instead of getting trapped into loads and loads of continuity, I think that's one of the like. I'll go back and say one of the things that were great about Secret Wars for Marvel. All those, the best of those little spin-off books from there, those miniseries, were fantastic self-contained stories. I just caught up on Spider-Man: Renew Your Vows. Um, oh, the, it's a great book. I, yeah, I'm not, and I'm not talking the ongoing. I'm saying that that original miniseries that was set in the world of Secret oh, Wars okay. was terrific. Yeah, and you know, my son read it and loved it, and so we are buying the uh, the ongoing. But I mean, I'm just saying, you know, it was just, it was so satisfying to binge through five issues and go, "Wow, what a great story!" And I felt the same way with this Wonder Woman Conan. It's like this crossover makes sense uh, in a weird way. I would never have thought of it. But the way that Gail Simone presented it was great, and it gave a facet to Conan. As you say, you forgot one element. I would say, to me, that that you almost, there's a moment where you see and believe the little boy mm-hmm. that Conan once was. Mm-hmm. And most of us don't see that, you know, when you only touch base on the occasional Conan book, oh, yeah, there was that part where Conan was young, you know, well, and, 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 those, and, and those the nobility. Those are the stories where he screws up, and that's what makes the story. You know, he's like, because he doesn't know, you know, in this one, it's, uh, he, I forgot what happened. Something happens early in the story, and it's like, well, that that ruined everything. <laughs> I was like, yeah. No, no I, it was a great book, and that was my, that would have been, I can't remember what else I had read that week, but that was the one I knew was like going to be, that is the top. That is the book that I'm just like, that's my favorite book this week. Yeah. And uh, so I'm glad you picked that. I, uh, like it. I love it when we're right. <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely cool. so my second book um i've i've uh i've talked about this when the first issue came out and um it's it's really it's been a, a fun book and it's still uh nick fury is still a wonderful homage to nick fury agent of shield by jim stranko yeah. uh issue six is entitled um let me get the page open here because it's not a it's not an easy title uh, Return to Ravenlock Ca- Castle Caper, uh, which is a, um, it is basically, um, 
a homage to Nick Fury. Oh, it's a, actually it's the sequel and homage to Nick Fury: Agent of Shield number three, which had the uh, poetic title of Dark Moon Rise Hellhound Kill. Uh, which is uh, I've read that. I yeah. used it as a trivia question in the Profan Trivia Contest at Comic Con a few years ago. So it's it's a uh, that's uh, Stranko is noted for his art and and page layout, but that one is a real adventure in in all types of storytelling because it's both a standard comic and then it drops into this kind of narr- picto narrative that I can only say is like Prince Valiant where you had a big complex picture mm-hmm. on one side and you had a lot of prose on the left-hand side, which is almost exposition as to what the adventure part of the story would have been instead of all everything that leads up and follows after. So the layouts in this, the storyline, um, it's a lot of fun. I, I'm, this, is a, this would be a great book for somebody who doesn't have that background for it, for somebody who does have the background of having read that in any number of... Uh, either the original issues or any number of the collections that have come since. Um, it's a, it's just a great, uh, like, wonderful homage, revisiting of Stranko's style and storytelling. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, what's next in your bag? Because I got nothing. Okay. <laughs> next in my bag is issue six of six, um, Batman in the Shadow. Batman the Shadow. It's not and. It's Batman the Shadow. Shadow, yes. Um and I think that probably in the, in the Indicia, it's got a slash between the two of them. Um, Don't say slash. Anyway. <laughs> no, it says Batman slash Shadow 6. Okay. Yeah. Uh, um, from Dynamite in DC. And this, this story has been um, interesting. You know, it's one of those, you know, is it really canon? Probably not. It, it, was it canon? You still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay. I'm listening. Um, we got a bloop, uh, Skype bleep. Um, oh. I hate it when that happens. Um, yes. So this one is a uh, beckoning back to... Remember when uh, Michael Kaluta and Frank uh, Thorne were doing The Shadow for DC? Well, as I was going to say, is there was, there was canon when DC Free and Clear had the rights originally. To both characters. To both characters, where it was clear that young Bruce Wayne had encountered the Shadow. And this one goes kind of back to that, in that the Shadow claims to have trained Bruce when he was off on his world wanderings. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have um, this this issue takes place, starts off in Shambhala, with fights and the Joker and um, uh, there's a catchphrase that I'm not going to spoil that gets tossed back and forth between the two of them every issue or so. Um, two words. Uh, it's just, This has been a charming uh, combination. It makes me wish that... Uh, it doesn't make me wish Batman was dy- with dynamite, but I wish the Shadow was actually a DC again. So... You know, I and I think you know, I think a company like Dynamite can afford to keep the shadow going. Yeah, uh, and, and, you know, I, I don't know what their deal is I, when they license, but I think for Warner Brothers at this point, you know, the shadow just didn't make sense financially. I don't think it sold well the last time they did it when it was that. What did they call that? Razor's Edge? No, something like that. Yeah. Um, 
when they had Doc, when they made the universe with Doc Savage and and the Avenger and and the Shadow and it just and Batman. You know, that's right. There was a, but I think he was only in that first miniseries, yeah. and then they and then they just didn't have a, a version of Batman going through that. And you know, for whatever it cost them to license those things from Street and Smith, you know, I, I always hate to. I, I know you say like, I'm almost too inside baseball, but then that's always the answer to why can't you have. <laughs> You know, why can't fans have this thing they want? Yeah. It's like, because it's just, you know, the inside baseball is why. It's it's all a business. It's Is it worth it to Warner Brothers to, to print that out? Uh, not, not really. So, yeah. you know, we'll see. So you had some books you wanted to talk about, too. So. I do. And these are all over the all over the place. I'm going to save the big one for last. Um, the first one is uh, a paperback book for $15 from, oddly enough, this is from Dynamite. And it is a... It is a wonderful five by seven inch paperback, Atari classic Sword Quest. Now, Sword Quest was a trilogy meant to be a quadro. What's a tetralogy? Quadrology. Tetralogy is five, I think. It was either. It may have been meant to be five, um, which I think is what they're finishing up right now in the the quote unquote monthly floppies that yes. uh, that uh, dynamite's doing but these are the original comics that came with the atari video games how interesting and it includes it's it's very well done very well packaged um the the first page has the little has the little icons from the game showing you what all the different weapons and potions and swords were in the little 16-bit graphics um but uh, this was all artwork done by Chris Claremont and uh, written by Roy Thomas. Chris uh, Claremont would not have done the work. John and, Byrne. Uh, uh, pardon me. Pardon me. Thomas Conway Perez. Yes. Perez. I, not Chris Claremont. Uh, per, and Perez art. And it's it's Perez from, you know, that period in the 80s when, you know, we had Ataris and we were watching... Uh, DC blow up its uh, first couple of universes. Um, so this yeah. is uh, this is uh, for fifteen dollars. This is a nice blast from the past, and it's a solid story too. You've got uh, three of the worlds here, so it does kind of end on a cliffhanger, which is going to lead you into the series that they're writing now. And probably by the time a lot of people buy this, they'll also be in uh, in graphic novel format. So yeah. first, cool. uh, second one I have. Um, is uh, and you're gonna have to help me with this because I I forget all the stuff that that this guy has written, but Donald Westlake, and who I know he wrote um, Parker, the series Parker. But he's yeah, also yeah, and he also had a series called the 87th Precinct. Yeah, and there was the one that I just remember the last book was the Dreadful Lemon Sky. There was one where every title was a yes was a color. But he's uh, done so... done a lot of screenplays too. Mm-hmm. So. Um, this book was a screenplay that Westlake was writing. Um, I think he was actually commissioned. I don't think it was on spec, but somehow he ended up owning it when they turned it down. It was supposed to be a James Bond novel uh, or a James Bond script for a movie mm-hmm. and called Forever and a Death. Um, and I just I got turned on by this. Uh, I turned on to this by um, the... Uh, the Doc Savage forum on uh, on uh, Facebook. 
strangely the uh, the forum that I actually pay the most attention to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's a a fortune in stolen gold, a device that will kill mil- millions, and just one man can stop it. It just sounds like a uh, Bond novel. This arrived in the mail today, so I haven't really had much of a chance to uh, to look it over. Other than I'm pretty excited about uh, reading it. So. All right. I, I you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in a book because I've meant to write a review. It's, it came out this week uh, that I was sent, um, and it was kind of interesting, and I think you would actually like it, uh, called Catacombs of Terror mm. uh, by this guy, Stanley Donwood, who had been kind of the graphic designer or collaborated uh, on the artwork for uh, Radiohead and their albums. Uh, this is billed as kind of this lost classic, uh, and I can't tell in the bio how much is fiction uh, fictionalized about what, what happened to this book and, and what, you know, was just, you know, that was a way to push it. It's, um, it's a, it's kind of a Lovecraftian uh, noir set in Bath. And that's why it caught my attention. It's like, Ooh, one of the few places in Europe I've been. <laughs> so I was like, Great, I can I can read about this. And it's a detective who is basically uh, a private detective who is told uh, in, in the first chapter, "You're going to be framed for a gruesome murder by Monday. Nice. Uh, you, you will be the suspect." And so he's uh, going, you know, trying to solve solve this murder before it happens and before he can be framed for it. Uh, and it just gets darker, and it's it's crazy. And it was starting to get so fun that I actually forgot it was noir. And then I got hit in the head by, by it being, <laughs> noir. you know, and I was like, wow, wow. This was so, it was, you know, it, it was cool. It's a fun read. It was a fast read. Uh, the cover uh, has Stanley Dunwood's, uh, I, his artwork. And it says, uh, it was a little banner on the bottom that says guns, drugs, pigs. Uh, and so it's, <laughs> which it does it really has, a subplot involving pigs. So I, I um, got the I got the cover in front of me. It looks like vampire pigs. Uh, yeah, essentially, uh, you know, man eating pigs. Uh, but it's uh, it's just it, it's it's a fast, pulpy. It felt good to just like you know dive into it, um, and you know, a lot of f bombs well, in the title list in the chapter list. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, it's not for children, uh, but uh, but it is a fun book, and so just want to you know throw throw that out there. I'm also, uh, I've been given the Magic Man Box delivered the Star Trek Discovery novel by David Mack. Uh, so I'm, I'm diving into that. Oh, cool. Uh, so, um, what's it called? You know, I wish I had it in front of me. Uh, I don't, I, I, I have it by my bedside in another room. So, uh, I could probably look it up right now. Couldn't, couldn't I? It's, uh, Desperate Hours. Desperate Hours. Yeah. Yeah. So a prequel to the television series. Uh, so since I haven't watched the television series at all, I think, uh, maybe we'll come, come at that later as a, uh, from different directions in, I will read this novel or I've started reading this novel that kind of introduces to the characters. And then I will dive into at least the pilot, which I have recorded and saved, um, to, you know, to see if, if my reaction is different, having been introduced to them from a, from a different medium. Well, we so, should at least talk about the way the, subscription works because that well we're going to talk about that later in television later in the show okay okay yeah 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 but i mean i'm saying later on you know that's that's gonna be my way into discovery 
Gotcha. And and it's being because I've never really had that opportunity to do that. Okay. So start with the book, with the tie-in book. So one last. Is book there another book bag. there? One last book in my bag, and it's forty stories celebrating four years of Star Wars. The title of the book is From a Certain Point, certain of, point view. of View. Yes. And it's it's forty short stories. And let you, let me just read you some of the authors here: Ben Acker, Ben mm-hmm. Blacker, uh, Pierce Brown, Meg Cabot. Uh, let's see, Paul Dini, Ashley Eckstein, Matt Fraction, Jason Fry, Christine Golden, Kevin Scott, Kevin Scott, or uh, George Mann. Well, I'm going alphabetical. Yes, he is down there under the Scots. Uh, yes, good. Um, let's see, Greg Rock. Okay, I'm very excited. See, I do Kevin want to Scott, this book. Charles Kevin Sewell. is an acquaintance, so Char- you know it's. Charles Soule, Glenn Whedon, Weldon, uh, Chuck Wendig, and Will Wheaton. And I've left out a bunch, but uh, that was a lot right there. And these are short stories that primarily focus on characters that have not were not stories being told in the uh, in the movies. So you each story starts off with a little bit of uh, a little bit of a, a, a graphic. Um, yeah, like I gotta say, uh, Cabin's story is uh, a certain point of view on Obi Wan Kenobi that um, I will just leave as a surprise. But thank you for reminding me that the book is out. There is uh, there is one 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 page story <laughs> in this um, that's uh, kind of like a, a rim shot, but uh, yeah, that's it's by. Uh, uh, I had it there just a second ago. It's by Jeffrey Brown. Um, who I think... Oh, that's the guy that did the the little the little Leah and you know Daddy's Little Princess. Yes, yeah, cartoons. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So it's along cool. those lines. Um, but it's also it's an unusual size for the book too. It's it's only um, it's only eight eight and a quarter inches tall by six and a quarter, which. You know, most books are more like, um, more like nine. So it's a little shorter. Backpackable. The things you notice. I just uh, love books. I love everything about books. <laughs> it's true, folks. His bookshelves are like you know, a game of Tetris. And, uh, yeah. So I'm winning, too. <laughs> Not according to Debbie. Uh, so <laughs> let's talk. Uh, a little bit movies. We'll just kind of go through. I, you know, I, I'm not. I'm not even sure what's happened since it is still the most popular movie in America. Uh, Wonder Woman is uh, is actually has turned out to be not the most profitable superhero movie of the year. It's kind of interesting that uh, I'm talking globally. Spider Man Homecoming is uh-huh. actually the number one superhero movie uh, over Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Big brick well. money, uh, yeah, pretty much. I think I think just big money. Um, I don't know that I, you know. I don't know that Brazil and Russia are, are in there anymore. You know, maybe it's ick, ick money, um, but yeah. uh, it's just it's interesting. It, it, it's they're, they're like uh, it's like a hundred million above what one woman has done, and they're you just know, kind of waiting for. I'm for not Wonder too woman surprised to... because uh, you know, sadly, uh, some of those some of those areas are not 
really happy with a powerful woman. In no, that's absolutely true. Of, uh, I am unsurprised. You know, I guess I'm, I'm not surprised. I think what surprised me is that I think we, we all just stopped talking about Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, you know, it was great. Um, but people, you know, it just, it just wasn't, but I, I can say I go to movie theaters, uh, and Spider-Man and Wonder Woman are both still there, which I think is fantastic. It's a, it's October. And these summer movies, these movies from June, are still there. And I want movies to have that kind of staying power in theaters. You know, feels so like you're a kid again. It kind of does. Like I could go and see a movie I love uh, still in a theater. Remember uh, when know, I, 2001: A Space Odyssey was at the Century 21 for a year and a half? No, but I remember when Star Wars was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't see 2001. I saw I'm it on not, TV. I'm not sure that it was grade. there that long, but yeah. Star Wars? Star Wars yeah. was there for two years. Yeah, it was. Really? They had one. Yeah. They had the, they had the special movie poster with all the, the birthday cake with the action figures. And yeah, it was there for two years. I saw it. I, I think, I, you know what? I'll take this back. I yeah. think that what they did with Star Wars was they pulled, or a new hope, you young people, um, is that they pulled it out. Yes. And then they put it back, back into in circulation. when they had, oh, we have a trailer for The Empire Strikes Back. Right. And then it played another four or five months. Right. You know? But these were back in those days when you didn't get a, a home video release. And your only way was you, you read the comics, you read the novel, and uh, you, you listened listen to the soundtrack. Drama. Oh, you listened to that soundtrack over and over. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, I just don't feel like that happens anymore. So let's just uh, roll down. Uh, despite the lack of success of the Mummy, which I noticed is already on uh, you know, airplanes, because uh, I just took a flight and thought, should I watch the Mummy? Because I, I really need to sleep. That'd be great. Um, that <laughs> that Universal is going forward with Dark Universe in that uh, Bride of Frankenstein, uh, directed by Bill Condon who was the director of Beauty and the Beast. And interestingly enough, Gods and Monsters, if you think way back when, with Ian McKellen and uh, Brendan Fraser, um, which is about James Whale, the director of Frank the original Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. Um, Bill Condon will be shooting starting in February, and he's using his creative production team from Beauty and the Beast. So uh, there's not much to say about that. I said, well, that's kind of interesting. I think out of these Dark Universe movies... That's going to be the most beautifully shot. I'm going to make a prediction. This yes. is going to be the one. This is going. To, this is going to be the one that hits big. I, I seriously believe that this is the title that doesn't have the confusion they've had with the prior dark universe. I would titles. agree. I, I would. I would agree with that. It's so straightforward. Um, it's a. It's a version of, or an offshoot of the franchise that has not been touched on that much. Yeah. So right and, there was. And the original movie, the original movie is my favorite Frankenstein movie of all well, time. Well, it's better than Frankenstein. Yeah. There is no question. It's more yeah. fun. It's more, and that's James Whale being subversive. And then you go, there was the uh, quasi remake, The Bride, with Jennifer yeah. Beals and Sting. Uh, and Clancy Brown, I got to say, man, though, Clancy Brown as the monster uh -huh. was uh, inspired casting and a, a beautiful performance. People, for, you know, because Clancy gets to play evil all the time, um, I, you know, I, sure, we've had dinner once, I speak of we're great friends, but, you know, um, we were in a movie together. Uh, <laughs> you were? You were. Yeah, it's true, because he played, he play, you know, he's a shortcut to evil, um, 
and you forget he's Mr. Krabs on SpongeBob, but there's a really, there's a brilliant soulful actor there who doesn't often get to show that. And, and the pride, though, I don't really recall it as being a great film. I recall that as being a great performance by him, you know? So, um, we shall see. I'm with, I'm with you. I think that Brian Ryan, because I don't think anybody's going to be that interested in Jekyll and Hyde. I think that Russell Crowe being in all this, I don't think people are going to be that interested in Johnny Depp as the Invisible Man. Who wants to go pay a movie, pay money to see a movie with Johnny Depp in which you can't actually see Johnny Depp? Exactly. And uh, there's another one. Oh, there's going to be a fan of the opera, but they haven't said who that is. I think Brian Frankenstein is straightforward. It's the one yeah. that's been touched the least. I think it, and Bill Condon could do something interesting with it. Totally. No, another sequel. Another sequel has started shooting already. Uh, Glass, which is the final film, or no, maybe it's not the final film, but the, the next film in the uh, Unbreakable series. I think that uh, Split has been out long enough that we can uh, reveal that twist. Yeah, I um, still haven't seen it, but I know the twist. Yeah, I mean, you know what? The thing is, it's not a twist. That's what makes that twist work. Is it doesn't it? It doesn't really affect anything. It's like a post-credit sequence, yeah. You know, a scene that just says, "Oh, I mean, really? Is it what a twist? It was in the same universe as, as Unbreakable." No, that movie is so compelling in and of itself. And then that's just a nice little cherry on the top. Like, well, were you going to get the third film? Yes, you're going to get the third film. So it does begin filming. Uh, of course, all the publicity on Justice League is ramping up. Ben Affleck and Gal Gadot are uh, kind of saying. It's interesting spin. Um, you're right. Batman v Superman was dark. Yeah, we get it that why people didn't like it. We always planned on Justice League being brighter and funnier and lighter. Uh, I think they're rewriting history, but um, it is just funny to see that, that, that there's that. On the heels of, I saw another article last week saying, there it is. It's like the whole DC universe, universe plan is Aquaman while starring the same people uh, is taking its a page from Wonder Woman, which had nothing to do with the other films. I'm like, yes, it did. Did you notice that it actually did? But the, but they're really going to try to let the solo films be solo films, so, which I think is the smart thing to do. So now that we've had Wonder Woman bring a little warmth and and brightness mm-hmm. into the DC cinematic universe, is it now time that I can go safely back and watch the expanded Batman v Superman? Or or should I? Am I better just not going back there? Because I've only seen that movie once. Well, I've I've look I, I I've I've sat through both versions, so that you didn't necessarily have to. <laughs> okay. But uh, but I, I I say the ultimate edition because that's what they officially called it. I I still will say is actually a better film than what they released theatrically. The problem is it is a half hour longer, but the thing that I there are still fatal. The, oh, I shouldn't say. Well, yes, things that I don't like are. We still have never seen a Superman be competent, but what the Ultimate Edition gives that actually makes this film less irritating is a super competent Lois Lane. You actually do see her as the crack investigative reporter and piecing together in a way that the that the original film does not do uh, um, is like, is she know she figures out, I mean, basically this is no spoiler there, but because the way that she does is very, is, is very well done is she figures out that Lex Luthor's framing Superman. 
and understands why why Superman just seems so impotent, um, you know. And, and it's like she puts it all together. And and to see a movie because this is a thing I've I, you know as much as we we like Richard Donner's Superman one, Superman the motion picture movie, and and Lester's Superman two. I never bought that Lois Lane, Margot Kidder was fun, but I never bought that Lois Lane was that great a reporter. I just kept telling you she was. And I, I feel that way about Man of Steel to some extent. Um, but the ultimate edition of Batman v Superman actually makes a case for Lois Lane being an equal to Superman and in her own way. And a heroine that would be like, you know, somebody could write a really good comic book series about that version of Lois Lane. You know, <laughs> and maybe they have. I don't know. Um, they should do a modern one of that. And, yeah. Uh, anyway, okay. So, so that's it. Uh, and this just in, Paramount has announced, and I don't know how the heck it's supposed to work, a live-action Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Uh, Tim Miller, the director of Deadpool, is producing this film. And that's all we have to say at this point. I, I think that's I, all we should say at this point. <laughs> I just don't know what to do. I don't. Okay. Uh, well, meanwhile, I, actually, we can we could say this. Can we name a good <laughs> video game to movie that was from an actual video game to a movie to an actual movie? And I, I say that. You mean because, besides Super Mario Brothers? No, I'm I'm saying besides Wreck It Ralph, which was a video game movie. <laughs> no, I know I don't count that. Super Mario other. Brothers was the first one that came to my mind as another atrocious. Oh, it's <laughs> horrible. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? I I, I am going to say they get they they do get a bad rap in that I think there is one at least one good one. Yeah. Uh, which is just because it's silly and fun is actually the first Mortal Kombat is. A okay. movie I would I would watch okay. again. Um, okay. It's it's not a great film. It's it's, I, it's it meets. If uh, I no, no, we're not looking for great films. We're looking for films that meet with your expectation and the love you had for the original. You know, yeah, that they recreate yeah. that love. They recreate that that obviously they're not going to recreate that experience because you're not taking your joystick to the to right the theater. Um, you know, but Street Fight the first Street Fighter is horrible except Raul Julia. Basically, has oh, kind of a man. F it, I'm gonna die. Um, yeah, he's, I mean, that literally, was his last role. Yeah, that was his last role. But his M Bison is almost like, well, he was a great, he was a great scene chewer when he uh-huh. needed to be, and he needed uh-huh. to be in that film. And it's it's sad that that was his last role, but he, you know, he, he took it for the money, but he did not give us a, a performance that was just for the money, you know. So. Um, no, still a terrible film. That's not worth it. I, 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 I will argue Mortal Kombat. And I, I've thought about about this a lot because that question comes up a lot. And I'm like, uh, they made two Tomb Raiders. I did not like them. Um, the best thing about and, Tomb Ra- the first Tomb Raider is uh, Craig. Um, I've forgotten his first name now. James Bond. Not Daniel Craig? Daniel Craig is he's the He's in the bad, first one? I thought he's the bad guy. It was Gerard Butler. One. I'm pretty sure was it's... Was it Gerard Butler? I'll look it up. I'm pretty sure it's Daniel Craig. It could be. I just don't remember because I saw it and didn't like it. Um, so I I might have higher hopes for the new one uh, because I like Alicia Vikander. But um, yeah, yeah, we shall see. I just don't think that Sonic the Hedgehog is necessarily. Well, you know, I'm waiting for the big Pac-Man trilogy. Uh, you know, 
we could do a, a grim and gritty Pac-Man followed by a Ms. Pac-Man and then Pac-Land. Uh, I, I think, you know, that, that will be the apex of it all. So we rolled a television. Uh, Noah Hawley just tweeted out that he, uh, that they begun, uh, shooting Legion season two for FX, but that ties into last night on Fox, the gifted their I guess they're uh, acknowledging it's X-Men. Um, but it's not, oh, it's, it's really X-Men. It is. I, I've watched the first 15 minutes or so of it. Um, yeah, you've got Blink and uh, Blink, uh, Warpath. Lorna, Lorna Dane. Is it Warpath or Thunderbird? Uh, I think it's Warpath because I think Thunderbird has already been used in the films. Okay, because um, the, the he was the one that I had a little trouble with because he's exhibiting powers that I don't remember. Well, but, I think they, I think they're leaving that. You know, they're playing around with these yeah. things, so it's all right. And yeah, yeah and so. Uh, yeah, so you saw 50 minutes. We we don't have much to say this week about that. It should, was on last night. I did not have a chance to watch it. What I have, I think, caught up on, because it moved to Thursdays, was the Orville. Uh, and then you've caught up on Star Trek Discovery, so we can uh, almost point, counterpoint it. Yeah. Um, well, I'll I mean, tell you. I, yeah. I don't, I don't want to you know, point, counterpoint it. I think that I, I wish the Orville would still let go of its pacing like a Star Trek The Next Generation episode. Yeah. Because things have changed a bit. But I got to say, episodes three and four, man. Oh, yeah. Um, that for this show, three in particular. Yeah, I've only, I've only watched through three. I haven't watched four yet. But three was one of the best science fiction no, stories that was, I've read. That was I've terrific. This year. It was heavy-handed in its moralizing, but you know what? I'm going to say, God bless. I'm going to say, Seth MacFarlane is trying for years. I've said, here's this genius who is, in my mind, after watching Family Guy too many times, is lazy because everybody tells him what a genius is. So he goes for the easy. The Orville is finally. He's trying to stretch. He, as a writer, he's trying to do something more. He, you know, and he's, he said for Fanboy Planet, he said for many others, he wants to bring back the idea of aspirational science fiction. And, you know, to say, like, we're going to make it, and he wants to inspire kids. And even though there's a lot of poo-poo jokes and, and you know, toilet jokes in the, in the show still, um, I just feel like I am grateful to watch this guy finally stretch and push himself and 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 he may not always reach the conclusion that i that i would admire in and of itself but that he's trying for that depth episode three that is what other show what's i would say the the actually hit across one plot complication that i don't think star trek's ever done and you know i'm just i was just blown away by that yeah the fourth episode was really good um, it actually follows kind of a trope that Star Trek has done a couple of times. Um, but it's okay because I was also thinking about this and went you know, as much as at our age, we can tout Star Trek, the next generation and enjoy it. Um, was four, wait a minute. Four was the one where they, they run up against a, a, a massive ship. Yes. I have seen that one. Okay, so you've watched the four episodes, yeah. yeah I've and so I mean, it's kind of like for the world is hollow, and I've touched the right, sky. Right, right. It's, it's uh, it actually reminded me of the Harlan Ellison uh, story that was uh, Star Lost. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't want to say that because Harlan will sue. Cordwainer um, Burns story. Okay, with Starlost, yes. So, um, you know, I I was thinking about it and went like, all right, here's as much as we love Star Trek The Next Generation. There's literally a generation of television viewers who, no matter how hard we try, will not watch that show. But they yeah. will watch The Orville. And so I think The Orville fits in a space uh, just so much, it's so needed on commercial television so that kids can find it or, you know, teens can find it. I, I still think some of the, uh, of the jokes though, very well done. I mean, I loved episode three with the reference. I won't spoil, but you know, other than that Rudolph, the red nosed reindeer fit. Oh, that was so beautiful. That he was actually, I'm laughing at it and going, Nope, that was actually brilliant. That was really, really right. Yeah. Um, you know, and, uh, so, you know, the flip side, a, is I, I will say I was awake for, and this is no cut on Discovery, I recorded the episode, the pilot episode on commercial broadcast television. Uh, it was really, really late on Sunday night, and I thought, yeah, I'll watch it. And five minutes in, I was asleep. And it had, it had nothing to do with Discovery, and I just having a chance to get back to it. So I'm not dissing the show. It looked so beautifully cinematic. Yes. Um, but I wasn't necessarily gripped. I have to go back in, as I said, I'm going to pay. To, I'm going to come at it from the novel first, which is the prequel, and then and then go in. But as beautiful as that was, you know, I just think that the Orville, again, partially because everybody can watch it, um, it was a you know feels to me like a stronger show. Well, without without, I mean, I can spoil anything for you, um, but the 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 whole thing about Discovery. I mean, I think that you really have to look at this show differently because they are telling an ongoing story mm-hmm. that's developing over episode uh, over episodes and the first two episodes have the same flaw as um journey to farpoint which encountered w- farpoint encountered farpoint which was too much time and a little too little story in there not too mm-hmm. much in the case of discovery but you had um, Michelle Yeoh, yeah. right? Um, and her character is important in those two episodes for setting up what's going to happen in the background of the character. It's not quite exposition, but it is um, about where uh, the um, the uh, I've forgotten her first name, um, Michael Burnham. Michael, yeah, comes from. And it's all essential. You you do need it all, but you really don't get into the story that we're going to be into until the third episode. Well, and this is one of those where I feel like, oh, you know, it's always going to be a kind of what might have been if Brian Fuller had stayed on. Oh. I did. I, I I actually kind of like the title sequence, uh, <laughs> the opening credits. You do. Or uh, I do. Oh, I, I, love I do. Yeah. I thought it was yeah. really cool. Um, and. It's almost because it's almost like James Bond because uh, it was opening. different. It was yeah. different than the than the other Star Treks, and I, I like that. Um, but I saw something in the credits that's that made me go, "Okay, I'm going to have to look askance and maybe get over it." Is you have Brian Fuller, who can be a little almost too clever for his own good sometimes, and I love it. But I understand why a lot of people are alienated, no pun intended, by his work. Um, I love him. Uh, you know, I, I, I absolutely do. Uh, as a creator and but he was teamed the final screenplay or teleplay 
was also by Akiva Goldsman. Uh-huh. And I think Akiva Goldsman has fantastic instincts as a producer. And he worked on Fringe. Uh, and with Alex Kurtzman, he was involved in the Star Trek uh, Kelvin timeline reboot cinematically. Um, but he is the guy that wrote Batman and Robin. And um, when he writes stuff, uh, the only movie that people tell me, you know, that I think is half decent written by him is A Beautiful Mind. And that's and we've talked about that before. And then I'm not sure because I've never seen it. I think people go back and go like, you know, it wasn't that good. I find any screenplay that or teleplay that he's touched, there's something clunky uh, in the dialogue. The pacing is always a little off. And when he's just producing, I think he has fantastic instincts. He was the but, producer for Dark Tower. Yeah, well, we'll see. I'll get around. It's coming out on, on home video very shortly. So it's no it as far as yeah. Stephen King adaptations. Yeah. I haven't watched it, but by the way, I'll just throw out the recommendation for Halloween that apparently Gerald's Game dropped on Friday. Yeah, on I saw that. I saw and, that. And I, did, I, I, was, I was not in a mood to be scared out of my mind that evening. No, I'm, I know, but I'm... I'm. You read the novel, you know, right? Uh, that's actually one I haven't. So oh, I'm I'm God. really looking forward to catching it. I did see it again, and I gotta say, it whole I don't know if you've watched it, if you've seen it yet, but it it totally rewarded a second viewing. Yeah, and um, there are little details that's like, oh, of course, you know, which is, and that's it for me. A movie, if I can see it a second time and go, ooh, I didn't catch that. Oh, didn't catch that. You know, it's just subtle, and you know, there are things about it that are. You know, pandering to a modern audience, but there are also go- things that were smarter than I thought it was. I was going to send you a link today because I know this this would appeal to you in particular. Uh, that uh, it was uh, a pictorial of different cosplayers, um, sexy women dressed up as Pennywise. I feel very torn by this concept. <laughs> I knew you would be. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I don't think I want to know. Uh, I don't know if you saw Very that. Sexy you know, clowns. Who was it that pointed this out? Uh, I think it was Amir from Elusive Comics and Games. So there was this last week. It was revealed, you know, that 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 uh, in Florida they had caught this woman who had uh, dressed up as a clown and shot what turned killed what turned out to be you know her 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 second husband's first wife, hmm. so that they could be together twenty seven years ago. Um, and then somebody pointed out, I think, I think it was Amir Masood from Elusive said, do you notice it was 27 years that they finally caught her, that the clown was caught 27. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, it's it. It's I mean, talk about, there's going to be a funny movie with this is like, they're going, Oh yeah. Like they couldn't seal the deal for 27 years. Like this woman had total motive. Uh, they had evidence that she had bought clown shoes <laughs> three days before the murder. They had before... imprints of the clown shoes on the yes, murder site. Yes, I mean they had witnesses saying this this uh, this poor victim was shot by a clown. <laughs> it's like, hmm, who bought all the clown makeup? What a strange coincidence! Oh, <laughs> you know, so it's just anyway funny. Uh, the last news that occurred, uh, I think it was last week or two oh, weeks ago, Amazon. Yeah. Can I, picture. Go I, ahead. I want to end cap one thing on discovery mm-hmm. and and that is my big complaint i love star trek i've loved star trek since the first episode i saw when they premiered the one problem with star trek all the shows has been how do you write great stories about 
perfect people. And they've often been able to do it, but it's not as interesting as when you have imperfect people to write stories about. And they almost got there with Voyager. But by the end of the third or fourth episode, even the criminals that were on the crew were acting like heroes. This show really has the opportunity to have some broken and damaged people in I'm the, say in the they, stories. They missed an opportunity. They missed an opportunity when? Uh, Casting-wise, and I'll tell you, because you've oh. got Doug Jones. Yeah. Um, he could have been Arik. Oh. That... The, the, he has the build. You, you could have, you know, because it is a prequel to, to the original series. Yeah. And the animated series is back in canon. You could have added yeah. a third arm to Doug yeah. Jones, and the makeup would have been s- pretty much similar. You know, and uh, so anyway, I mean, that's just a stupid geeky uh, complaint. Yeah. But that's, there's I there's thought, also I, there's also an after show now called Talking Trek that's hosted by Mac, Matt Myra that is on CBS All Access. Oh, okay. Um, that, I swear to God, the first 15 minute, minutes of that show, Matt Myra's voice was up about two octaves over what it normally is. He was so screechy. I just believe that he was, he was just so um, amped up about being on a show associated with Star Trek. Do you yeah. know Matt? Do you know Matt Myra from? Uh, uh, is he on the Nerdist podcast? He's on the Nerdist podcast. He's been on on a number of uh, uh, a number number of uh, Nerdist TV productions. But he's the sole host for this show. And by the time he calmed down, half an hour in, he uh, halfway in, he kind of calmed down and got it got in the zone. But oh my god, I, I was I was almost having to turn it off when it started up. But I think I think with especially the, with the, the way I think this show is going. That is going mm-hmm. to be an interesting, and they're going to do. They do live streams of the shows when they come out, so it's like broadcast. And if you're watching the live stream, you can tweet uh, to the Talking Trek guys, and they will take the questions. Oh, interesting! So, yeah, All that's right. just another reason. And oh, what uh, what we didn't talk about was the free period of time that you have to watch this so you can sign and and what that means so you can go to cbs all access in the website mm-hmm. and you sign up with cbs for a subscription now what's confusing about that is that subscription is is between you and cbs it can be used in any number of different ways it can be used on your tablet on your computer it can be used on your xbox um, it can be used on your apple tv it can be used on all of them simultaneously going jumping back and forth between the devices which was confusing until i figured that much out so you can actually if you've got an xbox one it's probably already integrated with the television it makes the the viewing experience a lot easier than i've got to watch this on my laptop if you're not used to watching shows on your laptop that kind of stuff right it's um, on playstation as well the app for that is, okay was i wasn't sure about PlayStation. released a couple weeks ago yeah so, i downloaded i haven't signed up yet so the the offer is a week for free with limited commercial interruptions or two days commercial free. So and they only have like four commercials commercial breaks throughout the show. 
So it's not mm-hmm. too bad to watch it with commercials. And if you watch it live, you get the commercials anyway because they're not cutting them out for the for the non-commercial people live. You begin to watch, it's when you watch the archived ones, the on-demand ones, that's when you get the commercial or commercial-free part. So that's that's our PSA for today. All right, very cool. So the last piece of news I will say is uh, Amazon is moving forward and releasing stuff for Good Omens. Uh, the Yay. adaptation of, yeah, Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett's novel. Really, I, I guess that was Neil Gaiman's first novel. Um, and uh, they released a couple weeks ago a picture of uh, David Tennant and uh, Michael Sheen as the uh, demon and angel who are trying to save, uh, stave off apocalypse, the apocalypse. Uh, they just cast John Hamm as the angel Gabriel. And so this is a yay for you is... Neil and Terry had considered a sequel that would have focused on Gabriel and the host of angels. And so he's, and I guess they had done some outline and then got onto other projects and it never happened. So Neil Gaiman, who is writing the television series uh, is taking uh, that material and building it in so that John Hamm will have a, a much bigger part than Gabriel plays in the uh, original novel. So these are the circumstances in which I don't mind alterations when the original, uh, you know, let's be honest, surviving creator uh, is taking the material that they had generated and just never used and putting that in to a story that is fun. Uh, you know, I, 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 I assume they're still considering this. It's a one and done season. Um, they're going to show it on Amazon Prime here, and then I think like two or three months after it's released on Amazon Prime, we'll show on BBC Two in England. So I'm looking forward to that show like crazy, just as I'm that's, looking forward to the American Gods season two. That's um, yeah. So now, do you know what the uh, the slated title for the sequel was? I don't remember. I know I've seen it, but it was six six eight, the neighbor of the beast. <laughs> such a clever book. Uh, so if you haven't read it yet, there's time. There's time. We were just talking to Jason Salazar about that. Said, there's time. Get it. Read it. You want to read it. You've got to enjoy that prose. Um, so there's your opportunity. So thanks for listening to us, uh, breaking down some news of the week. You're, a, you're, I don't know if this will be up in time, but you're appearing at Convolution uh, this weekend, is it not? This weekend, I'll be there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I've got panels. I've got a late night panel. Mm. Um, I can't remember Rick which Rich Schneider after dark. Yeah, not the first time. Um, no, I've, but once you've been through it, might be the yes. Last. The uh, I'm doing one on the Marvel Netflix universe, and another one about why DC continues to blow its universes up. So, and then I've got. Uh, I got asked uh, to be on somebody else's panel. I can't remember. Oh, it's uh, it's uh, Christopher um, Erickson's. Yes, Chris Erickson's um, uh, history of uh, the sidekick, the superhero sidekick. Oh, cool. Well, so I got to right, do homework yeah. on that one because I'm not a big sidekick guy. So anyone who's up there, uh, it's San Ramon is where it's being held this weekend, right? Yes, San Ramon. So, uh, yeah, uh, there we go. And we should, uh, I'll just throw out there too, that famous monsters is holding one in San Jose at the end of October, um, which is going to have, uh, the, speaking of it, like the original, many of the original cast members of the film of the, uh, TV, uh, miniseries version of it 
uh, and uh, kind of an interesting new production of the Rocky Horror Show uh, being done live to benefit St. Aldrich Children's Hospital. Uh, so some interesting things happening in San Jose and or in San Ramon, so the Bay Area, um, that are, are of interest to San Francisco Bay Area uh, film fans and nerds and geeks are people. Um, and that's it. Thank again. Thanks for listening. And of course, if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write into editor at fanboyplanet.com. Uh, we'll be back soon with a new podcast. Thanks. I'm Derek McCaw, editor in chief of fanboyplanet.com. And I'm Rick Brett Snyder reminding you to use, use your, your powers, powers only for good. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com. So this is Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of FanboyPlanet.com, and uh, this is the Fanboy Planet podcast. And across from me, via the magic of Skype, and far more complicated arrangement than my laptop and my phone. This is Rick Brett Snyder. You're breaking you. up a little bit this evening. Um, I'm going to tell you when to no. repeat stuff if you have to. Like we should redo this whole the 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 opening from where you say I'm Derek McCaw because <laughs> you were like okay. fragmenting to that part. So just give me a, a nice cold open. Let me check. Are you there? Yeah. Okay, just making sure. This is Derek McCaw, editor in chief.